Welcome to a Date With Podcast. I'm your host, Claire A.H. Each episode features conversations about the professional and lived experiences of intersectional dating and love. Go on a date with someone new. So everybody, welcome to the 2018 live version of A Date With. A Date With is a pretty brand new podcast. I think it's going to be episode number five. So pretty new. Technically started in 2017 by the skin of my teeth on December 30th. Um, It's about intersectional dating, also about relationships, sexuality, and just talking with a different person each episode. So it's kind of like going on a date, talking about dating. And uh, Playground is really near and dear to my heart. I've been to every single one. And um, this year I'm speaking on a number of panels and they're all really exciting. There is actually one on intersectional dating. So I guess I'm kind of being relatively involved with that this time. And uh, I'm very excited to be joined by Wendy Petties, who is we met because we're on a panel together and with sort of it was serendipity that we both applied with um, fairly similar ideas, yours being specifically focused on um, uh, post-hysterectomy and post-menopause, and and, uh, the panel I applied on was about sex after a shift. So that is a shift. And we wound up uh, getting together and having a little, like, discussion on Zoom from all over all, all the five participants. And I just, I was so enchanted by you. I thought you were so interesting and nice and, like, you just had so many good things to say. So I was like, well, somebody should be on a podcast. And we had this opportunity. So Wendy is a sex educator and a psychologist, relationship coach, and owner of uh, Good Girls Do. So we'll start off with that by saying, well, first, hi, Wendy. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for being the guest for the live podcast. It's kind of, it's intense doing live. Usually it's easier to kind of like cut and take some time and that may talk about a question and we can still do that and I will edit this as we need but yeah it's just great to have you well thanks for having me um I've been interviewed before never really live live um so uh if I mess up or if I say something that I am unclear about um I'll you know I'll just make it happen so it's okay And and the other thing that we have in common is yes. I had a stroke as so well. We will definitely be talking about that because I feel like that's uh, like it's only been for this is the fifth episode and uh, already it's come up a few times at uh, Tell Me Something Good, the storytelling night, which we will also talk about later. Uh, I feel like two thirds of the time I uh, preface my stories by saying, so for those of you who don't know, I had a stroke and then there's the story. So it certainly informs, you know, relationships and dating and sexuality and Yeah, we'll get into that. But first, I wanted to ask, what is Good Girls Do? And what do Good Girls Do? Ah, so Good Girls Do has been a group that I've been running for the last 15 years. Um, It is on Facebook. It's Good Girls Do with an exclamation point. Because when you search for Good Girls Do, you often get um, something that is not what I'm talking about. Um, But Good Girls Do is a group of women where... a group for women where they can talk about anything and everything, sex and relationships. It caters to women of color in particular, but there are so many people in there, so many women in there, and we talk about things that typically are not on everybody's conversation. 
and it started on my personal Facebook page, and then I would post articles or post things or questions, and people would PM me and say, oh my God, that happened to me, or I want to talk about this, and so I, I moved it to a group, and within a weekend, we had like 500 people. Wow. So what are some themes that come up in uh, Good Girls Do, and kind of what, maybe where did that name come from? I know, but I'm asking, so everyone <laughs> else can know. So... Um, my own exploration into my relationships and my sex life um, uh, moved pretty quickly, but I remember having thoughts about, should I do this? Should I want to do this? Should I um, explore this way? Um, because I'm a good girl. You know, I was raised to be a good girl and good girls do this and they don't do that and they don't, you know, want to have multiple men and they don't want to have, um, you know, uh, bondage and uh, dominance and submission. So, you know, I'm a good girl. And how did I align that with what I was titillated by Mm -hmm. versus who I was? And so I just said, you know, good girls do whatever the hell they want to do. And so um, that's that's kind of how the name came about. That's such important messaging. There's so, I mean, goodness and sexuality. There are so many ideas of what is appropriate and what is, I don't know, considered good. It's, it's something that I think comes up everywhere. But do you notice that um, the people that come to you have certain kind of preconceived notions or certain things that they're in particular trying to contend with? Yes. Um, a lot of people come to me about relationship stuff. So I do a lot of communication translations um, because expectations culturally are that monogamy is the only option. Um, and so and end um, and you ought to be happy about it mm-hmm. um, and you ought to just take whatever is given to you. And so um, a, a lot of things about uh, monogamy, a lot of things about so that's on the relationship side. On the sex side, it's it's that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I wow, I find that woman attractive or I find that man attractive. But, you know, I can't even tell my partner that because it they'll have a, a conniption you know that's my, my mother used to say that have <laughs> a conniption um, and so a lot of the questions I get are either those kind of basic germane things you know is it okay for me to feel this way or think this way or want this but then there's also like is squirting really real you know um, you know my boyfriend or my partner wants to get into anal sex and, you know, that hurts, you know, and, I, and, and I'm like, it doesn't have to, um, but if it does and you like it, that's okay. And if it does and you don't like it, then that's not okay. And, you know, so we get into kind of these, these deeper topics that people aren't typically talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, just giving everyone, everyone at Playground always talks about this because definitely Kate Kenfield has been before, but that idea of being a beacon of permission is so important. Mm -hmm. I was curious, uh, talking specifically about dating, so relationships, but like the earlier sort of the flirtations and the first encounters and the early encounters, what are some questions you get about that? Like either frequent ones or things that stand out to you? Well, um, we're not taught how to have relationships. We're not taught how to navigate that. So just the basic things about the word dating can mean so many different things to different people. So um, I get 
you know, are, are we really dating? Because, you know, he calls me or she calls me and I um, spend some time with them. And sometimes we have sex and, you know, sometimes it's pleasurable, sometimes it's not. And so I consider us in a relationship, but I don't know if they do and how do I have that conversation. So it's, it's those kind of basic, mm-hmm. basic things that people are unclear about and we never talk about. Because no one, whether you have, I always say this, I find myself saying this a lot, that if you had great role models, like your parents, um, great meaning traditional role models, your parents were married for 40 years and they love each other and they're affectionate and they, you don't see them fight and all this stuff, you may have this idea of this idealized idea of dating and relationships and how it should proceed. And so the first sign of trouble, you're like, I'm out. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And on the other side, if you had a shit show for for parents Mm -hmm. where, you know, they hate each other and never should have been together, then you're like, I'm not up for this bullshit either. You know what I mean? And so, um, so either way and anywhere along the spectrum, you have people who are confused about how do I navigate just this basic dating from courting, mm-hmm. you know, which a lot of people aren't doing, yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to just kind of Netflix and chill, you know, what does that mean? And, and, and it's difficult for them to navigate. So those are the basic questions that I get. And so without getting too much free advice, cause this isn't for me personally, but maybe for people listening, um, what would you say to somebody who is looking at their their dating life or their hookup life and saying, okay, I kind of don't know if this is dating or not. Like some people are all DTR, define the relationship. Other people have, a lot of people have very strong opinions, but they're kind of all over the place. What would you tell somebody who's asking that question? How does it feel? Good, good question. You know, how does it feel? Does this feel okay to you? Um, the reason you may be asking me may be because you're curious about how good it feels or how how uncomfortable with how bad it feels. And so I, I want you to get in touch with how you're feeling and your gut and your intuition and make a decision on there separate from anyone else because you need to decide for yourself what is good for you um, from dating to sex before you can adjust with someone else. So that's my first question. That's a good, and that honestly is something that a lot of people don't think of, and it, and it becomes so much about social expectations and like, okay, well, we've been dating for six weeks, or like we have had sex, or we haven't had sex, and these are the things that define whether or not we are dating or whether it's casual, and we forget about the entire part of the equation that is just ourselves. Just yourself. Our needs yeah. and our desires, and sometimes it's a little harder to figure out those things. I mean, mm-hmm. depending on who you're talking to, maybe if you ask, how does that feel? That may not be clear. And yeah. what do you want? Like uh, that feeling of what does it make you want? That also might not be Absolutely. clear. And so we, we dive in further and, and it's not like you talk about free advice. I mean, I talk to my friends about this and my, my family <laughs> and all kinds of stuff too. But I mean, clients, we have the time to really dig deep in that and look back at, you know, well, if if your friend was talking to you about they've been talking to this person for six weeks, what would you want for them? You know, what what questions would you ask them? So then they're like, oh, you know, like I could do it for you, but I don't really ask myself those questions. And so we have the opportunity to go through those things. That, I mean, there, there's a lot about your relationship coaching style that we'll go into later, but I really appreciate just that kind of open-ended friendliness Mm -hmm. because so often coaching can be a little prescriptive or really based on 
your own kind of dogmatic idea of relationships and voicing that on others, which is unfortunate to say, but totally true. Absolutely. So it's refreshing to hear just kind of asking open-ended questions. And I say all the time, like, I am not an advocate for or against monogamy or non-monogamy or poly or whatever. I want you to be more of you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm not flying a flag or or you know trying to lure people into the dark side, the light side, whatever it is. You know, like just just saying like, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that people have had that opportunity to really think. And to really decide for themselves. Yeah. And, like, you come to a conference like Playground, and there are lots of talks about um, non-monogamy. But there are also talks, like, I think there's one going on either right now or during another one of the sessions that I'm doing, so I won't be able to go to it, about um, getting off the relationship escalator. Mm-hmm. So even whether whether or not you're poly or monogamous or somewhere in between, uh, just getting out of this idea that a relationship must progress in this way. So how do you think that um, sexual concerns, so people who are coming to you more talking about pleasure and sexuality, uh, how do those hang-ups kind of dovetail into dating concerns sometimes? Um, well, there's a lot of shame and guilt um, in in our culture, which is highly sexualized. And, you know, I'm, I'm from the United States, and we use sex in everything, to mm-hmm. sell everything, to talk about everything, movies and music and everything. But, you know, we are not that comfortable in talking about sex. So, um, so then people are not really sure about how to navigate that alongside relationship stuff. So I don't look at them as separate. Sometimes they are because some people are not interested in having sex and pleasure. And I guess my philosophy is that um, pleasure should come first in all areas of your life. You know, like if you want to eat the dessert first, you should eat the dessert first because sometimes we don't get to it or we set up ourselves to have pleasure as a reward for something that was horrible, you know, like, oh, I just got to get through this week of work and then I can, you know, go to the movies, you know, rather than, you know, I'm going to the movies and I'm going to do my work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, in, in relationships and in sex, the pleasure, you know, part is left out. And so that's usually how, how I string them together, you know, in terms of relationships and the sex part. Yeah. One thing that also, it comes up, in some way with basically every like matchmaking client I have is the idea of disclosure and whether that's disclosure of an invisible illness or disability, whether that's disclosure of like STI status, whether that's disclosure of, you know, just anything going on in their lives that they feel might not be the best first date conversation. How do you speak to people about the idea of dating, but also and contending with when to kind of disclose or how to disclose or if to disclose? Well, I think people need to get comfortable with whatever those those issues or concerns or challenges are. And they don't always have to be seen as a bad thing. And I think that's the first part. Because if I see that me having had a stroke um, is a bad thing, 
then I'm less apt to want to have that conversation. But if I see it as this is a part of my life and some days I get up and I'm tired and so you're going to have to be on top today, you know, then that's how we have that conversation. So it's it's a little bit about getting comfortable. I think it all goes back to how comfortable you are with yourself and your choices and the things that surround you that you can control and things that you can't control that enable you to have those open conversations. And the problem is that we have so many labels and so many things thrown at us that, you know, we don't, and the goal is to get married. Societal mm-hmm. goal is to get married, whether that's really your thought or not, that, you know, oh my God, you know, when I list the 20 things that are wrong with me and why I don't look like you or look like you, you know, if this is the model or this is the model and I don't fit that model, then I don't want to tell anybody about you know, the, the things that I deem as, you know, checking off the box that will knock me down into the, I need to take the scraps that are less, you know, um, but people aren't even conscious of that. And so I'm just trying to help people talk about things and think about things that they may never have. Mm-hmm. Before. And it's not to say, obviously, it is not good that you had a stroke. It's yeah. not, it's not, I, I, I always say I but can't recommend be. it. And so, you know exactly what I can't I recommend do. it. It's not, not exactly a party. No. But being able to use that experience, being able to be empathetic for something which is invisible and something which is kind of really misunderstood, especially when we're talking about people under, you know, the age of like 65, 70. Mm-hmm. It's... I think a lot of people, well, actually, I do have a, a matchmaking client who is a stroke survivor, and that was sort of like, we thought, oh, it was in the same part of the brain, it happened in the same uh-huh. age. Um, that That's maybe not such a common experience, but there are a lot of people dealing with chronic illness, invisible disabilities, or other things that they just find kind of like, not just complicated to talk about in the dating world, but like something unexpected. So a stroke, I would say, is an unexpected thing to yes. talk about in like on a first date when you are not in what people consider the age for a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I did want to talk about the fact, so you focus on um, black women in relationships and sex with good girls do and also just in general with your practices. So what are some themes that you address or that you see a lot with clients? Like um. Well, black women are just like every other woman um, and are influenced by cultural things just like everybody else. Um, But I think laid on top of that are societal thoughts of either, you know, kind of church stuff Mm -hmm. or whore stuff. Um, and how we're portrayed in the media. So, So I get a lot of things about... That's white people stuff. I can't do that. I can't think about that. I, you know, I'm not, (laughs) I, that's just you, crazy Wendy, you know, (laughs) or, um, you know, uh, they don't even, oftentimes they don't even allow themselves to think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and then there's, there's interracial things, you know, um, the perception that our men are dating white women and are dating outside of the race, um, which is, is, is misunderstood and a lie. Um, <laughs> also it happens, but that's not 
the prevalence, but that is how we are portrayed. Um, it's funny that you you're we're talking about this because I am I see through the lens of this black girl, and so when I see a commercial now I see oh there's there's more people of color on the commercial, but I notice in a way that you may not that every time. Um, not not every time, but nine times out of ten, when there's a black woman on the sh- on a show or on a commercial, for example, there and there is a partner, it's a white man partner. Mm-hmm. There are not, you know, these these examples of black love. You know, in a commercial, you're selling a car or selling Cheetos, and there are, you know, and there is a need for, you know, a, a black woman, an obviously black woman, a mixed child, but there's a white man. You know, saving the day in this healthy, wonderful relationship that's portrayed in 30 seconds. And I just wonder about that, you know, having an impact on mm-hmm. on women and that subtle shift um, of demoralizing black men, but also of, of having women, black women, um, kind of either be, I'm going to be alone or I got to go over there, you know. Um, and so I get a lot of that. And so it's not as direct as my white clients that are coming in here and they're like, hey, I want to know about this or I want to know about that. There's all these nuances that we have to wade through with black women, um, and it's 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 a safe space to talk about things that are, um, you know, that bristle us, mm-hmm. you know, because I can, you know, like I'm speaking to you, you are a white woman, um, and so even though I've told you that, you may notice that, but that is the lens that that mm-hmm. we always see, and so that that adds to you know the pain of he doesn't want to date me anymore and now he happens to be dating someone who's white and what does that mean about me and about what I look like and and what I feel like as a woman and so um, those are those are added things that come in and so that last statement you made like what would you say in response to somebody who says you know my partner is dating a white woman now what does that say about me um well I was lucky enough to have the notion that anybody caring about someone else has nothing to do about whether you care about me or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that that is a minority view and that I was lucky to have had that. Um, But I do share that. You know, it has nothing to do with you. Um, But I also know that it does have something to do with you. And I recognize how you feel because um, there are, there are, nuances there that um, are painful Mm -hmm. and there's history there and there's history that's not your history Um, and so we have to talk about these things but more importantly and alongside that we got to get you okay that you can recognize that that's not the person for you is the point Mm -hmm. but we got to get past that you know and let you you know Call her whatever you want to call her, but I want to direct your attention and your energy to this person is not worthy of you or not a maybe maybe they're a bad person maybe they're a good person and that's just their choice but there's a lo- long road there but yeah we got to get through that and let them you know say and experience everything that they're feeling because it feels like a rejection so many times of, you know, from our Barbie dolls, you know, aren't black and are, you know, I mean, so it's, it's built up there, but so short answer is I let them feel it and have it and we kind of go through it and then we get to, you know, let's get you feeling good. Yeah. And that is another thing that I think relationship coaching is so important and, and work like this is so important because 
a lot of people do have other people they can speak to. They have friends, they have family members, but they're not going to get the space to say it and then the space to kind of investigate it. They'll get the space to say it and then they'll get the response, which is someone else's point of view, which may or may not be helpful or what they want to hear. And I just think that's really important. So uh, just before coming here, uh, we had the amazing keynote with Kevin Patterson, who wrote a book, which is coming out slash kind of here right now. I got it. Oh, good. I'm not going to lie. There's a signing right now. And I was like, do we have time to figure out the tech and then go upstairs and get a book? Well, they had to come and get me because I was up there. And I I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I I heard I was like, so I heard Wendy Wendy is shopping. And I was like, okay, that's good. Um, So I should have been like, got my copy. But I'll probably probably talk to Kevin and and see if there are any left after this. Uh, But as I was (laughs) trying to get to the point... um, uh, Kevin talks about uh, race and polyamory specifically and the statement that you made just now that's white people shit when you're speaking to people specifically uh, black women about polyamory like how do you address the microaggressions that, it, that happen interesting um, so I don't speak a lot about it I do tell people about my experience for the last 10 years I've had four relationships and now I'm down to two relationships and they've evolved in this really beautiful way um, you know but for the, a long period of the last decade I had four male partners mm-hmm. and what would happen how we, it would even come up in my personal world is uh, my birthday's in January but it's always cold or the Super Bowl and so I never have a party then and I'm always sad so I made my birthday a half birthday in July and when I first did it people were like you can't do that your birthday's in January and I was like I can do anything I want and you're either mm-hmm. going to come or you're not and when they came they were like this is amazing but all of my partners would be there and they would be like oh my god he's beautiful like who's that and I'm like he's mine and they'd be like who is that and I'm like he's mine and they're like you can't have everybody and i like I don't have everybody but those four are mine um and and they were like what and I was like yeah and so then I would get this can you meet me in the kitchen for a second like what you know and I'm like yeah you know so and it was so matter of fact and they would be like giving each other a pound and you know saying hey how you doing and very respectful and you know one of them would bring me something to eat or whatever and they were like you have a harem and I'm like it's not that at all it's just that we love each other and respect each other and they are all alpha men who have worked this out I really think they have a conference call or something together I don't think so really but I mean too but but you know it's not really their style but I used to think like this is just like eerie because like when they first came together I was like oh god there's going to be some fighting here but it's not you know and so now that it's kind of evolved into just two people and one person really primarily that I see day to day and one person because the nature of his job is not around a lot um, it has changed and um, so that's how we get into the discussions Um, but I'm really clear in my practice I'm really clear in my interactions with personal people that I have this fluid love, and um, and what's important to me is respect, um, and um, and you should have that too. Respect and pleasure are really important to me. If it doesn't feel good to me, and not the like, oh my god, I'm having an orgasm every day, feel good thing. Although that's wonderful. Um, but if it doesn't feel good, then I don't want to really be a part of it. And I value the relationships 
individually and collectively enough to have the conversations. And I'm pretty fearless. I say all the time to my friends and my clients and my people around me, you can't fuck it up. Like, you got to go for it and say what you got to say because you could be surprised Mm -hmm. and that they would be like, oh, my God, I'm feeling that too. And I never, you know, I wanted somebody to talk about it. Or they could say, no, that doesn't work for me. And that's okay. You know, but I think people in, I mean, I work with women primarily, so that's the lens that I'm seeing through. I see a lot of, you know, but if I say this, then he may leave. Or if I say this, then he may not want to do this with me. Or he, if I say this and I'm like, what if, what if, you know, and Mm -hmm. you don't know until you have the conversation. It's so nice that you can just be a sounding board for people and, and give that kind of permission. And honestly, I'm just imagining the permission you give at these these parties and it's like you're eating dip and 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 giving this life advice and, and then people are bringing you snacks. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> and I actually, um, we're going to kind of shift focus. So I also, my birthday's in February and I'm not... Are you Aquarius? I am. <gasps> are we both Aquarians? <laughs> and I always try to organize stuff. And honestly, the past couple of years has not really happened. Yeah, no. Just because like it's Cold, cold and people are not here and then it's mm-hmm. like eh, whatever yep. and and also just kind of like for people who get a little down in the winter time mm-hmm. it's not easy to go yeah. out and I'm a wintertime downtime person yep. and so a lot of people in my life so I don't want to be like all right let's go to let's go dancing yeah um so I do uh, my stroke anniversary is actually my oh. we do a little picnic because it's May twenty first, uh. which aside from the fact that I had a stroke one time, yep. um, is a beautiful day. Yeah. So uh, I love that. Yeah. So we do, as we mentioned earlier, have the commonality of both having had a stroke, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to know how that shifted your perspective of your areas of expertise and also just your own experiences in dating and relationships and sexuality. Um. So having a stroke was not a great experience. Right. However, um, it made me slow down and stop. Uh, it made me really shift priorities. Um, I thought I was real clear on mm-hmm. what mattered to me and what didn't matter to me. But when you're, you know, like, uh-oh, you know, I, I can't move and I'm hooked up to these machines, and oh my God, and you know, my doctors say that if you're going to have a stroke, you should have it the Wendy way, which was I'll be awake. I was with my sister. I was 10 minutes, I was with an, an EMT um, dispatch nurse, mm-hmm. and wow. I was 10 minutes away from the hospital, and I never lost consciousness. Um, and so they're like, if you're going to do that, like you should do it that way. Good job, Wendy. So you if know? anybody's listening <laughs> and you're planning on having a yes, stroke, just you know, the try Wendy all way. those uh, the Wendy way. But that said, seriously, um, it was you know waking up in the hospital, and you know one of my partners, one of the two that are are still around me, was there holding my hand, um, and my sister. Um, called them all, you know, which was a big deal for her um, because she had still been a little indoctrinated into the, I want to, I want you to be happy. And for her, happy meant settle down and be with one person, you know. And so it was really a, a, a really beautiful thing that she like, you know, knew to call all, and she called all four of them, even mm-hmm. though they're not all in the same way with me anymore. Um which she knew, but um, but she really was like, no, I, I got to call all of them. So that was that was a beautiful, wonderful you know shift for her and for us. Um, 
And so I think in my in my work, in the work that I try to do with and for people, um, it's more about prioritizing and that you may not have time for this bullshit you're doing, you know, or accepting or feeling bad about or, you know, so so why not? <laughs> you know, why not ask the question? You know, like, what if tomorrow you couldn't speak anymore? You know, now I have, you know, like, I'm pretty in your face anyway. But mm-hmm. now I'm like, hey, I had a stroke. You could have a stroke, too. Why don't you say that? <laughs> I say you know? that all the time to people. <laughs> I'm, I'm like the terrifying crow. And it's like, yeah. it could happen it to you. It could happen to you, you know. And it, it's it's really funny. And so far, I haven't gotten this, like, enough already or, or, you know, shut up, Wendy, you know, I mean, um, but, but I, I do, I do even gently say, you know, like, you know what happened to me and, you know, I mean, people were shocked that Mm -hmm. it happened to me. I'm, I'm 49. Um, I just turned 49 in January and this happened July 14th. Um, Oh, so this is like recent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're in further than me, you know. Three, three years in May. Yeah. You know, um, But July 14th, it happened and out of the blue, Mm -hmm. out of the blue. And it was actually a good day. I had, you know, I had um, some knee surgeries and spinal surgery over a couple of years. I'd fallen a couple of times. And so now they think that I was having mini strokes, you know. Um, And so I look at that as a good thing that now they're looking back because I was like, "I, I didn't trip. Mm-hmm. The first time I was in a dance class, and yes, I fell legit. The other two times, I freaking didn't just fall, you mm-hmm. know. And they were like, oh, your knees, you know, you're overweight, you know, you hurt yourself, you know, whatever. And I was like, no, no, no. But, you know, they weren't really listening to me. And now I went back to my neurologist and I was like, hmm. Yeah. Do you want to see the charts now this cat scan or whatever and she was very defensive she was like there was no evidence of that at the time I was like yeah but you had the evidence of me saying this mm-hmm. you know so that's my other plug is make people listen to you make people listen to you um and um because it could have been different I mean um I still have weakness on my left side I know your left side also yeah. um and uh but it could have been worse and there are so many people it was worse or they're not able to speak or they're not here. Mm -hmm. And so the short answer, shorter answer to your question is that I use it. I freaking use it. And I am even more um, like you, you, this is the only life we have. Mm -hmm. And so you should be able to talk about the things that are important to you. And if you find that you are afraid, push it even further. And I use that thing about, you know, who's your best friend? You know, would you, what would you say to her? What would you, what would you want for her? You know, if you can't do it for yourself right now, we'll get there. But I know that you would kick somebody's ass for, for that person over there. And so let's, let's rev that up in you for you to ask that question or say that thing. That is such a, oh, I, I feel really good because, yes, let's talk. Ah. That was worth some clapping. Um, it's interesting being here and I have a lot of friends with like different disabilities and different, I mean, other intersections and some of them are single and some of them are hooking up and some of them are not. And what sometimes I sit with, especially, you know, if I'm talking on a panel about dating and sexuality and disability and people have different experiences is my experience around having a stroke was that I was living with my partner and like I'm pretty monogamous. And so it was kind of like, you know, he didn't leave. He's right there. It's cool. Yeah. And and it was really great. So I had this kind of 
it's never easy to have a stroke. It's never easy to, to, to kind of like contend with your sexuality and, and your, yourself after that but I I had maybe a less challenging road in that respect and sometimes especially when I'm having these conversations with other folks I think well what what would it have been like if I was single what would it have been like if I was like you know before before um before I met my partner I was like an avid okcupid user and like going out and I felt really kind of like vivacious and flirty and I struggle with feeling vivacious mm-hmm. I struggle with you know wanting to leave the house I struggle with like energy issues and I struggle a lot with my sexuality both in terms of physical sensation and in terms of just like you know life after stroke it's yeah. different now yeah. and but that is good advice because the truth is I have used my stroke in terms of more just like connecting with people in the medical field and the healthcare and being really public about it in that respect. And I'm certainly really public about it. And I think that, as you say, is the answer to my question. Well, how would it be if I had, you know, a stroke and I was single and I was dating? It, it would be that same, it would be the same issues I'm dealing with, mm-hmm. the same tiredness, the same questioning of self. But I also think the best way to deal with it is to, yeah, put it out there and push further when I'm scared. But it's, you know, like I don't, mean to suggest in any way that I have it all figured out you know I have I have one primary partner I have another partner as well um but you know like I met someone just recently who I hadn't seen in years and I happened to that day not have my cane Mm -hmm. with me and so you know I was like uh-oh, you know, they may not know because people who, who knew me before and after can't really tell the difference, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I've had some chronic things before, mm-hmm. so it doesn't really look that different on the outside. And so I was like, oh, shit, I didn't have my cane with me. But then I was like, but oh, shit, if I had my cane with me, then he would be asking questions. And I don't know if I'm ready to talk about that. So, you know, you know, we do this for a living, you know, we do this to as our profession, but we don't have it all figured out, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I said to him, you know, I said, hey, um, just so you know, like I had a stroke recently. And so some days, you know, I, I don't I, I'm not I can't get out of bed or, you know, I mean, just yesterday, yeah. you know, I came and and flew here and was fine all day and walking around. And I noticed that when my Fitbit gets to about 5,000, I've had about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, you know, I'm at like four, nine, nine, seven. (laughs) I need a nap, you know? And that's when I texted you because I was like, oh my God, if if my body doesn't kick back in, I'm not going to be able to go. Mm -hmm. And so I went, you know, I was able to do it and was able to there and was getting a little tired at the end. But then, you know, I have things that I've built in. So my sister's here with me who had thought to get snacks. So when I got back to the bed, I had like a potato so chip party. It was not the best snacks, but it was it was just what I needed. Sounds you know? cool. Honestly, sounds cool. we, we, we went for burgers after. You so, know, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I build that in. But yeah, you know, new people and explaining to them that I'm you know, damaged, <laughs> you know, I say and that. You say stroke and it's not, yeah. some stroke is like, it conjures for me, actually, yes. it was the thing that scared me most. That yeah. sounds like I, I don't like spiders. I don't like snakes. I don't like bridges. I'm weird about bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually the thing that scared me the most was having a stroke. Mm. And so of course I had a stroke yeah. and it just, it like it cast this, this imagined thing in people's minds mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. I, that wasn't a big 
it, it never occurred to me, never occurred mm-hmm. to me. Um, a big fear of mine, um, because I had problems with my legs and with my spine was ending up in a wheelchair or not being able to take care of myself and that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, this is, this was manifesting that as mm-hmm. well. I, I do believe that what we focus on becomes bigger. So, you know, there's something in there, you know? Um, but I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to be anything else other than what I am, but I still have all kinds of things. You know, like I have scars all over me from all of my surgeries. I had um, the other thing that we're talking about on mm-hmm. the panel yes. is I had a hysterectomy at 40 and I the stroke actually put me into menopause. For these 10 years, mm-hmm. I have not been in menopause, but as soon as the stroke happened, it's like my thermometer broke. And so you'll see me put my jacket on, take it off. I'm either shivering or I'm like, oh, God, I'm so hot. And so um, so that's that's that was more of a a shift for me um, Mm -hmm. in terms of my own personal sexuality and relationships, although I have more support now in my relationships than I did when I was going through all of that. Okay. So yeah, actually, that was kind of uh, my next question. I'd love to hear a bit more about that shift and how um, just your experiences of relationships and dating occurred then. And maybe let's also talk about how how it's shifted now. Yeah. um, I think Back then when I was going through, so from 29 to 40, I, at 29, I, uh, I, I, they found a tumor, a big, huge tumor on my ovary. And immediately they thought it was malignant and um, had to remove it. Um, it turned out not to be malignant, but it caused all kinds of problems in my body. Um, black women in particular have fibroids, and so my fibroids were um, just running rampant in my body. Um, and I proceeded to have, um, 11 surgeries from 29 to 40 to save my fertility, to stop the bleeding. I mean, I was, you know, like if, if this was then I would be so uncomfortable sitting here because I would be afraid that if I sneezed, I might bleed through my clothes onto this beautiful chair, or I might, um, be too weak to have the conversation or, and so all that planning, whatever for 11 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and finally I told my doctor that, um, this bleeding or this fighting is going to kill me one way or another. And I want to live. And so I opted to have a hysterectomy. And my thought about that was, when I made the decision, uh, my doctor and I cried. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's wonderful. Shout out to Saul Stromer. Um, and he's been caring for me for all these years. Um, but he was like, oh, my God, I have begun fighting more for this than you. You know, because we were fighting to have a baby because that's what people are supposed to want and do and whatever. And it's not that I didn't want to have children, but I stopped focusing on that just to try and keep keep my fertility, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was keep the fertility to have a baby, but I forgot to live during that time. And so, so my relationships were pretty haphazard, you know, I, I, it was just, it was judging people by how they were taking care of me when I was going through this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not having open, honest relationships and, and conversations because I was so focused on just living and surviving that I couldn't just be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely, you know? yeah. And so um, 
so I can now, and I'm really making the, 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 the connection between how when I woke up and my partner was holding my hand and how when I woke up so many times in the hospital and none of them were there was that I didn't let them in. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't let them um, take care of me. Um, and it was very much uh, transactional, you know, and some of it was transactional, like, oh, my God, there's a window I could get pregnant here. Like, let's do this, you know, um, mm-hmm. from that really transactional thing to I don't have time for this. I got to get my body ready for the next surgery so that I could, you know, do this thing. Um, and and so me, who, who does this, you know, um, and, and helps other people to figure it out, had not done a good job of this. Whereas now I'm like, you know, yeah, I'm hurting today or I'm exhausted or, you know, I need some naked time because, you know, orgasms help with pain, yeah. you know, and so, and I've done enough and my, my left hand doesn't work so well. And so sometimes it's a little numb and I need your help and you got two hands, you know what I mean? Um, so, so it's those kind of conversations now. So it's a real different, so I've had these two big shifts, you know, three, yeah. if you count the menopause, but, um, but the shift was really in me you know, to allow them to be helpful and to be open to, um, you know, to decide for themselves if they could or would or should, um, and for me not to judge them um, because I wasn't even giving them an opportunity way back when, you know. Sorry. Now I'm, I'm like, I'm so amazed at the shift. Of course, you gave me like such such a good little sound bite. The shift was in you. That's yeah. But I just realized that mm-hmm. I did. I had a lot of animosity and, and we had this these long-term relationships, but had a lot of animosity that I wasn't expressing, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, women are not taught to deal with anger. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I realized at 40 when I woke up from the hysterectomy um, that I'd never cried. Throughout all that time, I'd never cried. And my cousin came in, and she, and I remember this. She came in, and she said, hey, beautiful, um, how you feeling? And I just, you know, I mean, I just, I, it all went. Because I didn't have time to cry, and I didn't have time to, um, to kind of get into the internal emotions. Whereas, whereas now, I think my body healed so quickly because mm-hmm. I am so in tune to my body body and my emotions and 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 because I I think it's also a gift because I've been doing this work for so long yeah. on myself and with other people that I was able to to do that and be comfortable in who I am you know it's wonderful so um you offer real this is like a a bit of a shift, okay. but we're talking about shifts, so let's shift. Um, so you offer both relationship school and what you refer to as relationship real talk to mm-hmm. clients. So what are people looking to learn and what do they need to hear? Um, so relationship school is is the stuff that you never learned about relationships and sex, um, but should have. And you, the relationship um, and, and also unlearning things that you learned somewhere from something. <laughs> so maybe what people, what people need to learn and what they also need to unlearn. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, um, and relationship real talk is, is um, so relationship school is a longer process. You know, we kind of, we get into what does courting mean? What does dating mean? You know, in this culture of text, you know, um, if someone texts you, it doesn't have to mean that they are, you know, 
not caring about you and they can't even pick up the damn phone, you know, it, it could mean that, you know, it's just that's the time they had to talk to you. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff. And it's a longer process. Relationship real talk is kind of a sit down like this, you know, for an hour and just let's talk about things, whatever comes up. And so I do both. Um, and um, and something just came up. I'm going to be doing these like black women talks because mm-hmm. That is so needed. I went to uh, an event called Black Girls Gather. And as I said, I'm 49. And most of my clients are from like 35 to 55. Um, although I, I have this following of, of like young girls, like 20s, um, so which is really cool. Um, but I went to this Black Girls Gather thing and it was run by someone in late, 20, late 20s, maybe early 30s. At least that's how I perceived her. I don't really know. Um, but it was not the space where my clients or I would be really comfortable because they weren't talking about the things that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so somebody was like, well, you need to have like a black woman, like a grown up, you know, talk. And I was like, oh, OK, I'm going to do that. You know? <laughs> you know, and that's often what happens is that people ask for what they need and someone needs to create it. And I can't do everything, but that I can do. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like your wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, in terms of maybe unlearning, what are some things that people have in them that you say, okay, I see where that's coming from, but, like, let's talk about it. Let's maybe remove it. I think it goes back to the good girls thing, mm-hmm. you know, that um, good girls do or don't um, do something. Uh, they, you know, this this image of that it's not your choice to make the decision, that it is, oh, no, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, I don't know, let's take oral sex, <laughs> you know, either giving or receiving. Like, you know, if we if we take receiving, there there's a whole school of, of thought that, you know, um, no one should have their face between your legs, mm-hmm. you know, like, are you kidding me? Like no one should be doing that because it's dirty and it smells and, you know, and it's messy and, you know, and, and, ugh, you know, and then there's other people that are like, you know, if you don't want to do that, then that's a problem. And that somehow reflects on me and blah, blah. And so, so, and, and everywhere in between. So really um, it's, it's those things that are things in your head that you need to question and poke holes in and ask, why do you think that? And why do you think that? And why do you think that? I call it the five whys, you know, mm-hmm. why, 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 <laughs> why? Um, so that you get to a point. And if you get to the point that you still think that that's whatever you originally thought, then I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, then then we can move the needle a little bit. Let's Let's figure out, you know, oh... I remember that my mother said this to me when I was a child or I saw her do this or say this to my brother. And so that's why I got that in my head. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that. Great. Or I don't agree with that. Great. You know, so, you know, it's not really a specific thing about unlearning, but it is unlearning all the things that have been ingrained in us forever and ever that we've never really questioned. 
I like that. You also have referred to yourself as a human lie detector, which I appreciate that concept (laughs) so much. Um, Can you do that in your own life? I do. Yeah. Like, (laughs) does it help or hinder your kind of relationships, Uh, dating, mm. sexuality? So the human lie detector came about and is a real thing. Um, My training, I am a psychologist by trade, but I have an MBA in organizational behavior and people dynamics. And what that really means is I can look around a room, a boardroom or a bedroom, and see who's really in charge, no matter who protests too much. Um, and so it's it's about where people sit in the room and it's about how they interact with one another and all of that. And I have special training and special skills to do this and I practice it all the time, uh, consciously and subconsciously, so much so that um, I am pretty much banned from any jury. Ooh. <laughs> um, I had That's a, good. I, I, I uh, served on a murder trial. Oh, wow. Um, before anyone really asked me about my skills, like I disclose, I tell them what uh, what my degrees are in and whatever. Um, but this last time, I, w- I was called for jury duty, and the defense attorney like kind of really scrutinized my my jury form and and said dismissed like really quickly, and then caught me in the hallway and was like, "Does this mean what I think it means?" You know, it's you're kind of like that guy lied to me. There was a show, oh, and yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I look at nuances and body language and that kind of stuff." And um, he was like. I, I could not have you in there. He was like, I don't think it's fair to either side, but I, I knew I couldn't have you in there. And so I knew what he was saying. Like, this guy did it. You know what I mean? And, I, and, and, and I'm not like a shrinking violet. So like I might have influenced other people. And mm-hmm. so he was like, I can't have that happen, you know. But um, in answer to your question, I, I use it, but not in this, aha, I see you're lying way, but in this, you know, hmm, sometimes I'm pretty direct and I'm like, is that, really what you want to tell me you know what I mean like it's okay to to say blah 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 you know um but other times um it with with some some of the people that I work with I am and I tell them early on like mm-hmm. I will absolutely hug you and love you through it but I will call bullshit on you in a in a minute and not to really push your buttons but to just push you yeah. to get to your truth you know and they know that about me and so if they don't want to work with me that's okay but they need to know that up front that's the thing <laughs> there are, there are so many therapeutic techniques mm-hmm. that do other things yes but if a lot of people kind of need well the real talk or somebody to say hey i hear you say these things but, but also i'm noticing is, this you know? it's like yeah it's it's kind of like I don't know. It, it's definitely a therapeutic style, like like being in the room and kind of mm-hmm. seeing what's in the room. But a lot of therapists do that based on limited understanding. Yeah. Whereas for you to actually have like that solid concrete yeah. background, yeah. it's kind yeah. of exciting. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I know. I almost want. Maybe someday I'll like come in for a session with awesome, you. Awesome. I'm never in New York. I'll yeah. come by. Yeah. Um, so how do you handle the personal and professional sides of like your sexuality and, you know, your relationships and all of that? Um, and how maybe those two intersect, maybe how people observe those? So um, I worked on Wall Street for a long time. I worked in for national nonprofits. I worked for an airline, a big, huge airline for 10 years. Um, and I've worked for myself. And first of all, I'll never work for anyone else again, ever, 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 for other reasons. But, um, but the, it, it does often intersect in really concrete ways and subtle ways. I think the, the subtle ways are I am who I am. And so I am... I exude 
all of who I am. And so, um, and I know what I'm doing with it. So um, my, uh, one of my partners, he says that I ha- I do these covertures, like covert overtures. <laughs> I um, love a portmanteau. Yes. And so he says that, you know, he's like, you you have me do things. And I'm like, oh, my God, she did it again. You know, he's like, because because subtle things like we'll be sitting across from one for one another. And and I will just kind of, you know, run my hand down my collarbone or something. And, and he's like, stop doing that, you know. Um, and so I um, I I do that. And, and, and it's not manipulation. It's really mm-hmm. just being in tune to myself and responding to what I'm getting or giving. So that's how I do it in my personal side. But in my in my work side also I I exhibit behavior that I want mirrored mm-hmm. and that is is something but sometimes the two do collide because um, just recently there was an opportunity for me to have um, to get some work you know mm-hmm. to get um, a project that I really wanted to do um, and this was actually a, a project that could have led to you know a lot of money but that was not even the point but mm-hmm. the point was someone who was who put my name in the ring you know for having doing this work came to me kind of apologetically and was like well you know when they they said they loved you and they read your bio and stuff but then they googled you <sighs> and they said the optics of you being a sex therapist are not good for the work that we're doing and i said what first of all i'm not a sex therapist um but what like there's nothing that you could Google that would be sorted or nasty. That that's yeah. really their stuff. Like I Googled you before yeah. this and, and it was very like, okay, you're like a professional person who interacts with sexuality and relationships. But Yeah. Yeah. And also it wouldn't matter if you did, but, but like But yeah. And so I said, Wow, I said I'm really confused but mm-hmm. okay but but thank you so much for telling me you know and she said you know but don't you worry I told her you are missing out she is the best at what she does and this was for a, a business side thing you mm-hmm. know and um because I do executive and life coaching and she said um she said you're, you're missing out on her she is the best for this role um but uh, we respect that and so we'll slide someone else in there blah blah but I'll have you know that the next time something comes up I'll putting her up again so I said well I I really appreciate that. And I, I felt really supported by that. And I said, um, I said, but thank you for letting me know, because I know that there's lots of stuff out there that I do on the relationship side. There isn't a lot about what I do on the executive coaching side. Um, so I'm going to rebrand my stuff and, and set it up in a different way so that people don't get that um, that impression that that's all I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, but I have to rant for a couple of seconds. And she was like, okay. And I was like, really? Like this, like, like the optics of this, you know what I mean? Like this company is, is making X, Y, Z widgets and, and you're worried about the optics with me doing something that's about pleasure. Like, and she was like, I know, I know. And I was like, okay, I'm back, you know, but, but, but thank you, you know? So, so I felt kind of outed and Mm -hmm. kind of shamed. Oh yes. That's there. You know, and, and shunned and pissed off. And, and it really helped me get back to, you know, why I even do this, because that happens all the time. And so luckily, I, you know, my livelihood does not depend on, on this one person or this one group. Um, but, but it also made me kind of stand in my truth of, you know, 
that's not the truth. Um, but I'm not ashamed of anything that I do or say. And I, I appreciate that you can make that choice, what, whatever it is, you know. So, yeah. They need like some good girls do. They good do. girls do these things yes. and, and engage in these things and also should be hired for their skills. Absolutely. Damn it. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, we're getting close to the end. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, um, what do you learn from your clients? Obviously, you're teaching them mm-hmm. a lot, but what do they teach you? Um, I learn every day, every day about uh, resilience, um, about um, new ways of thinking. Um, so I have someone that I, I, I'm working with now who I did not think was an ideal client. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. Um, I She presents very differently than I do. She has um, a different religious background than I do, um, you know, like has pushed all of the buttons about what I thought a good girl was or who who I'm really talking to. Mm-hmm. And and it has just been this beautiful, wonderful relationship, so much so that she sent out um, a what is she she sent out in her Christmas cards, like Wendy's freaking amazing and you should work with her. Aww. And I was like, wow, you know, um and 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 so I'm learning that even I can have preconceived notions and even mm-hmm. I can, you know, feel shame and shunned and uncomfortable and that, you know, I don't have this all figured out. Um, but I, but what I do is of value um, and, and everybody is, you know, flawed and amazing, you know, and I am too. So that every day that I work with anybody, I, I recognize that more about myself as well. Oh, that's I mean, I, I kind of hope that you would have stuff like that, but that was really wonderful, and I'm happy to hear, especially about the Christmas card. Yeah. Like, if, if anybody's ever looking to say thank you to someone in their life, just sharing their business and how great they are, that's yeah, a really good way. that's good stuff. Um, to close, I did want to ask, um, what are things you wish people either knew or understood about dating, but also relationships and sexuality? Like, what are some things that you just, basics or... Uh, that you, you can't break it. You can't mess it up. It's not all ordained and divine and, you know, it is the way it's going to be. And, you know, uh, like it, it is just people who were not taught how to do this trying to figure it out. And so if you just could understand that about the other person or person's that it's it's highly unlikely that everything will go perfectly smoothly. However, that is made up in your head that that you know you can get through. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that it's it's. I, I spend a lot of my time saying that's normal. That I hear that all the time. It's okay. I'm not diminishing your experience, but I know you're coming to me like, am I the only one? You know. So I think that's another big thing is you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think. Another thing that I really, really want to get across is that those of us who do this, who this is our world, this is, you know, we mess up too. Oh, my God. I could tell you some stories. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> well, tell me something good last night with two-thirds, like, people who were like, I'm very entrenched in the sex-positive community. Here's a terrible thing that, that I, I did. And it's my fault. <laughs> it's my fault. Right. And I know this. I know this. And I still, you know, get mad when he doesn't text me back. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, you know. And we're, like... 
<laughs> we're very much not immune from these things. No. And and it's nice that sort of that not only it's normal, but it happens to actually yes. everyone. Yes. We're not immune to feelings no. of jealousy, even yes. if we I don't know. Certain certain people I know who have written certain books about polyamory <laughs> it uh, disclosed last night that uh some advice that uh, is paramount to the book and to the workshops has not been taken mm-hmm. in the past 12 years. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, sometimes it's stuff like, for example, a Google calendar, uh-huh. but also sometimes it's stuff like the the charitable feelings you have towards other people, yes. to your clients or to the other people and in I'm your life. And I'm cranky sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you can't necessarily extend those to yourself. Yep. Like, that's a thing that I think a lot of people coming here say is like, you know, I appreciate so many things about other people's sexualities and bodies and, you know, relationships to the world. Why can't I have that for myself? Why can't I be happy for myself? Yeah. Yeah. And that just, it's nice to hear that from people because that is something that I think so many people think they're broken because they yeah. can't, they can't be nice to themselves. They can't allow themselves to ask That's these questions. That's not taught either. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not. So, you know. So to close, Wendy, um, yes. where can people find you and like how can people connect with you? Awesome. Um, so on Facebook, I'm at Good Girls Do exclamation point. Um, and Instagram, I'm on Good Girls Do Club. Instagram and Twitter is Good Girls Do Club. Um, and, you know, my email is my first name dot my last name at Gmail. So wendy.petties at Gmail. So you can look me up and you can find me. Um, you can Google me. You can find me too. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I am rebranding some things. So my website is not up, but it is wendypetties.com. Um, but, yeah, keep in contact and keep asking questions. And good girls do, exclamation point at Facebook, is the my main forum. And so come and join us there. And we talk about all kinds of stuff. And um, it's a safe space that I police and I protect very, very cautiously because I, I want people to feel safe there um, to ask or share whatever it is that's, you know, getting on their nerves or that they're thinking about. Well, thank you so much, Wendy. This was a wonderful thank interview. You. you have so many things to talk about, so many things going on. Um, yeah, this was just wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having me, and I'm so glad we could meet in person. Me we too. Had fun on that Zoom and we have, we have a panel after lunch. Yeah. Uh, and thank you to Playground yes, for letting yes. us thank do you this. For all you thank listening. you, everyone here. Yay. Yay. Thank you, thank you, and thank you to everyone listening at home. Yes. Please subscribe and rate A Date With on iTunes. Want to be a guest? Visit the website at adatewithpodcast.com or tweet at adatewithpod to find out how. Special thanks to Cambo for use of the song Wake for our theme music. Tune in next time for A Date With, well, you'll have to wait and find out.